Chapter One of The World's Lumber Room by Selina Gay. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter One Dust Ho. The Dustman's Cart. Probably ninety nine persons out of every hundred, if questioned as to its contents, would declare off hand that it held nothing but rubbish rags bones bits of glass and crockery oyster-shells paper cabbage-stalks ashes broken things and what was of no use to any one but the hundredth would look at it with different eyes and give a different answer it is rubbish to you he might say because it is matter out of place but only follow it to the dust contractor's yard and see how many people get their living out of this rubbish a good-sized heap of dust has been known to be worth four thousand or even five thousand pounds and if he were a poet or a scientist he might go on to assure you that the unsavoury-looking cart was brimful of possibilities more wonderful than are dreamt of in fairyland he might look at bones and ashes and tell you that he saw golden corn at old rags and say from cast-off clothes come bitter beer and early cauliflowers in fact he might go through the whole list and prove to you that so far from it all being rubbish none of it is rubbish when it gets into its right place and that every single item has a more or less wonderful future before it for where man's ingenuity fails nature comes to the rescue and she is intolerant of all waste then again if archaeologically inclined he might look at the dust and think of the ancient dust-heaps discovered or disinterred in various parts of the world which tell in such plain language of the habits and manner of life of races long since passed away from the earth and he might speculate upon the possibility of one of these modern dust-heaps being buried and preserved to become an interesting historical record telling future generations what the ancient englishman lived upon what fruits and vegetables he cultivated and what he imported what fabrics he wore what perfection he had attained in the arts of pottery and of glass and paper-making what an extensive trade he must have had with all parts of the world and many other things besides too numerous to mention to the dustman everything which finds its way into his cart whether it be ashes old shoes or an occasional silver spoon all comes under the head of dust but leaving these for the present we will limit our inquiries to the fine powdery matter commonly called dust which is by no means the insignificant unimportant trifle it at first sight appears for dust has caused lawsuits dust has caused shipwrecks and dust has caused and still causes death more than this without dust we should probably have no fogs no clouds and no rain there would be no light no colour in the ocean and finally without dust the sun's rays would be invisible to us what then is this dust and where does it come from inside our houses it consists chiefly of the minute particles rubbed off carpets furniture and the like by the ordinary wear and tear of daily life carpets and clothes are constantly being worn threadbare by perpetual rubbing 
and every time we cut the leaves of a book wind wool use a sewing machine scratch the legs of table or chair every time in fact that we walk across the room we help to make the dust which the housemaid sweeps up in the morning but it is not only the things around us which are being thus continually rubbed and worn something of the same sort happens to ourselves we are perpetually changing our skins not indeed as the lizard does but piecemeal and as the little loose particles are rubbed off they too help to make the dust which collects in our houses and needs to be constantly removed if our bodies are to be kept in a healthy state for the greater part of this dust is organic it has at one time or other formed part of some organized living thing animal or vegetable and as such it will burn quickly if we set fire to it or slowly if we spread it upon the fields and leave it as we say to decay it cannot therefore be wholesome to have it about us as though the exact nature of the germs which spread scarlet fever and other diseases may not be determined one thing is certain namely that they flourish most in the neighbourhood of dirt and decaying matter of all kinds the lighter part of this dust floats in the air as we see whenever a sunbeam shines into the room and reveals it to us the heavier settles on the floor and furniture where in towns at least it is so blackened by dust of another kind the smoke and soot arising from the imperfect combustion of fuel that it is not easy to tell what its original colours were still the examination of any bit of flue which has collected behind some piece of furniture too heavy to be constantly moved will show us that it consists in the main of fine hairs and particles of wool worsted cotton etc which have been worn off by the housemaid's broom and our own movements and felted together by pressure some being large enough to show their origin plainly while others are mere dust scarcely distinguishable as hairs at all by the naked eye but besides the dust made inside the house some of that made outside also finds its way in and in dry windy weather covers the furniture with a very unpleasant gritty film for it is so exceedingly fine that like very fine snow it will make its way through the smallest cracks and crevices and is not to be kept out by closed windows in towns much of this dust also is made by rubbing and friction the wear and tear occasioned by the incessant passing of feet and the wheels of heavily loaded vehicles are evident enough for the streets are constantly needing to be repaired on the large flagstones in the main road between the west india docks and whitechapel for instance where the traffic is of course exceptionally heavy and unceasing three inches of hard granite were worn away in the course of forty years and the roads of funchal in the island of madeira which run up steep slopes and are paved with basalt have become polished and slippery from constant use footnote mr bates in his naturalist on the amazons mentions that those mother turtles which had laid eggs the previous year were easily known by the fact that the horny skin of their breastplates was worn by their having crawled over the sand End of footnote. everyone has noticed too how very dusty railway carriages are apt to be 
and though some of the dust in them consists of particles rubbed from the cushions and curtains and some of sand from the road yet a large proportion will adhere to a magnet and prove to be minute fragments of iron and steel worn from the wheels and rails but the world's dust is not made solely by man nature too is for ever making it in a variety of ways and as dust of all kinds finds its way into our houses it is not too much to say that before we can account satisfactorily for all the contents of the dustman's cart we must know something of nature's labourers and their methods of working the oyster-shells are of course indebted to her dust-makers and dust-carriers for the materials of which they are made and the same frost and heat which have broken countless glasses are likewise busy with the rocks but besides these very obvious items the fine gunpowder-like dust which is sifted out from the other refuse must contain specimens of nature's dust in most if not all of its varieties night and day summer and winter her great army is ever at work cutting carving grinding loosening polishing hammering the rocks and making an impression even on the very hardest of them one result of all this wear and tear is the soil which almost everywhere covers the earth's crust sometimes to the depth only of an inch or two sometimes even less while sometimes again it attains a thickness of several feet at the utmost however its depth may be measured by feet and at its greatest thickness it is to the earth only as the thin film of dust which settles on our furniture but then again some of the mineral dust which finds its way into our streets and thence into our houses has been made altogether outside the world and has floated down through the air from regions of which we know nothing more than the little we can learn from this dust and by means of the telescope cosmic or meteoric dust is of the same nature as those larger fragments of matter which when they take fire on coming into contact with the earth's atmosphere and blaze for a few instants in the sky we call shooting or falling stars the number of these meteorites is simply inconceivable since they form we are told a ring one million miles long and one million deep and the celebrated american astronomer calculates that on an average there fall to the earth every day seven and a half million of a size to be seen by the naked eye and four hundred million which might be seen through a telescope of moderate power and that with the fine dust which accompanies them the daily weight falling upon the earth does not come short of a ton footnote single meteorites sometimes weigh several tons End of footnote. but the observations of professor nordenskjold lead him to go much farther even than this where the dust falls upon roads or fields there is of course some difficulty in distinguishing it from dust of earthly origin but where it falls upon fields of eternal snow and ice far removed from any rock or soil which could produce ordinary dust it is more easily collected and from his experience in the arctic regions the professor is of opinion that more than five hundred thousand tons fall uniformly and steadily over the whole globe in each year 
observations since repeated by the russian scientists in central siberia have yielded similar results for the dust is found to be composed in large measure of metallic particles such as are characteristic of meteorites though others of volcanic origin may no doubt also be mingled with them since we know that fine volcanic dust may be transported almost any distance by currents of air the ice dust or cryoconite as it is proposed to call it is scattered all over the northern ice fields and though well aware that it cannot be lost or wasted in the long run we may hardly perhaps be prepared to find that it is at once taken in hand and turned to account cryoconite the meteoric dust which has been formed who can say by what process in the far-off upper regions descends to the earth to form the soil which nourishes numerous hitherto unknown ice and snow plants besides the red snow with whose name we are most of us familiar this plant which is a very lowly organization makes its first appearance in the summer as a pink flush overspreading the snow in large patches sometimes miles in extent not only in the polar regions but on the alps and pyrenees and the mountains of california the spores of the lower orders of plants are very tenacious of life and are capable of bearing such extremes of temperature that no climate will destroy them you may even expose them to a heat of a hundred degrees centigrade two hundred and twelve degrees fahrenheit or to the lowest degree of cold obtainable minus a hundred degrees centigrade and still though lying dormant they will retain their vitality and as soon as they have the opportunity will grow and multiply though dwelling among snow and ice however they need the summer sun to waken them into active life and they need more than snow and ice to live upon like the green slime of our ponds they belong to the order of plants called algae and the red snow though so minute as to look like nothing but an assemblage of tiny globules even when seen under the microscope is still found like the plants of higher orders to contain many minerals the outer skin of the globule especially yields flint nor are lime iron and the other minerals essential to plant life wanting another alga of brownish red colour though closely related to the red snow is never found except on the ice where it grows in the blackish mud of the cryoconite either on the surface or at the bottom of the deep holes which in the summer pierce the ice in all directions to the great inconvenience of explorers these holes are indeed made by the alga itself which absorbs more heat than the surrounding ice thanks to its darker colouring and thus it melts and sinks deeper and deeper until it is beyond the reach of the sunbeams professor nordenskjolt even imagines that this microscopic plant may have had the chief share in melting those vast fields of ice which in a former age covered great part of europe and america but the snow and ice plants serve other purposes besides this by feeding on the cosmic dust they convert it into food capable of supporting animal life and many minute creatures even in the polar regions are nourished by the various red green and brown algae while the little black glacier flea lives almost entirely on the red snow and its remains 
in addition to the cosmic dust the air is at times charged with volcanic dust the finer particles of which having been carried up to great heights remain suspended for weeks and even months after the great eruptions of skaptar in seventeen eighty three iceland was obscured for months by fine dust which was carried over england and the north of europe producing fogs and lurid sunrises and sunsets during the great eruption in java which reached its climax at the end of august eighteen eighty three volcanic matter was ejected in enormous quantities and to a height which it is impossible to determine millions of tons of matter were hurled into the air enveloping the whole district for many miles in utter darkness and although the heavier particles of course soon fell to the earth quantities of fine dust were carried into the upper regions by the tremendous upward current which always exists in the neighbourhood of the equator to what height the air brought near to the equator by the trade winds is ordinarily carried we do not know neither do we know certainly what becomes of it but it frequently travels at the rate of one hundred and fifty miles an hour and presuming it to have done so in this instance carrying the volcanic dust with it it would says mr norman lockyer have reached various parts of the world exactly at the time when attention was first drawn to the wonderful magnificence and duration of the sunset glow and to other unusual appearances in the sky during the autumn and winter of eighteen eighty three these remarkable sunsets and sunrises began in the mauritius on the twenty eighth of august and were at once believed to be caused by sunlight passing through fine dust and from that time for several months they were constantly observed now in one place now in another until they had been seen almost all over the world having made their first appearance in england on the ninth of november here they were noticed more or less for many weeks and from observations made at berlin during the last three days of november it was calculated that the reflecting matter must even then have been suspended at a height of forty miles above the earth but the dust which constitutes the chief part of the red fog of the atlantic the sea dust of the northern seas and the sirocco dust of south europe is neither cosmic nor volcanic though it too has travelled great distances vessels hundreds of miles from land have been at times enveloped for days in fog consisting of a brick-red or cinnamon-coloured dust which covered the sails and rigging with a thick coat and rendered the air so hazy that no vessel which was more than a quarter of a mile off could be distinguished even at midday off st jago during certain months of the year a very fine dust is almost constantly falling which says mr darwin roughens and slightly injures astronomical instruments hurts the eyes dirties everything on board and at times falls so thickly that vessels have been known to run ashore owing to the obscurity and are recommended to avoid the passage between cape verde and the archipelago considerable quantities continued to fall upon the beagle when she was between three and four hundred miles from shore some of the variously coloured transparent particles being a thousandth part of an inch square few larger and the greater part consisting of fine powder 
on the succeeding days as the vessel proceeded on her way the dust became so fine that it could be collected only on a damp sponge but it has been known to fall on vessels one thousand and even sixteen hundred miles from any land from the direction of the wind and the fact that the dust falls during those months when the harmattan raises clouds of it high in the air and blows from the northwest shores of africa it was at first naturally concluded that the dust was all african too the mineral part of it no doubt may be so but on examination it was found that the greater part of the dust was organic and consisted mainly of those minute flint-cased forms of plant life known as diatoms which exist in almost all water salt fresh or brackish further examination also revealed the singular fact that though the dust came directly from africa of all the many different organic forms none were peculiar to africa and all but two belonged to fresh-water families and it has since been proved that all the organic portion of the dust whether it fall at cape verde malta genoa lyon or in the tyrol has come from the south side of the equator and has been transported from the banks of the orinoco and amazons when however we find that particles of mineral matter one thousandth part of an inch square can be carried three or four hundred miles and that a narrow strip of vegetable substance something more than half an inch long and the twelfth part of an inch wide clearly belonging to some tropical tree has been carried more than twelve hundred miles from any coast where it could have grown we wonder less at the long journeys taken by these minute one-celled plants forty-one billion of which occupy only one cubic inch of space and weigh but two hundred and twenty grains but we have still to speak of that which may more strictly be called the floating matter of the air that namely which is always present everywhere and is revealed to us in part but only in part whenever a sunbeam shines into the room for the sun says daniel culverwell discovers atoms though they be invisible by candlelight and makes them dance naked in his beams and the electric beam does even more for it shows us that instruments which have been washed and even polished and look spotlessly clean in ordinary light are simply dirty when seen by its searching light if they have been left but an instant exposed to the air the greater part of the floating matter of the air is organic for the heavier mineral dust is winnowed from it and falls first to the ground even the organic matter light as it is would fall to the ground also if the air were perfectly still which of course it never is in nature this floating dust consists of ground-up straw and rags smoke seeds pollen spores germs etc which invade both air and water to such an extent that neither however pure is entirely free from them the pollen or fine dust contained in the anthers of flowers and catkins is often wafted into the air in thick clouds in the neighbourhood of pine forests where it is known by the popular name of showers of sulphur this is the dust with which the bees powder their coats as they make their way in and out of the blossoms 
and so fine and light is it that much is scattered in this way and floats away in the air then there are the spores which in flowerless plants such as ferns lichens and fungi take the place and answer the purpose of seeds at the back of the common polypody fern may be seen a number of little round yellow dots which are often called seeds though they are not even spores but spore cases each dot consists of fifty spore cases and each case contains thousands of microscopic spores which when perfectly ripe and dust-like are set free to be carried hither and thither by the air then there are the fungus spores the largest of which are invisible without the aid of a microscope these since they make up in numbers for what they lack in size are constantly suspended in the air in large quantities ready to take possession of any suitable soil in proof of which we need only leave a basin of paste in their way and we shall often find it overgrown with mould in a single night far lower again in the scale of life than either mould or mildew are the various organisms bearing the general name of bacteria which are the agents of all putrefaction and fermentation and the cause of many diseases these swarm in all moist places of the earth and are wafted into the air in immense numbers such then is the floating matter of the air and we must now see how its absence would affect us we have said that but for the floating dust we should probably have no mist or fog or clouds steam or water-gas is like other gases invisible but as it escapes through the spout of the kettle the cooler air of the room makes it condense into a cloud consisting of numberless minute globules of water but the air of the room besides being cool is also dusty and if the steam be received into a glass vessel containing only perfectly filtered air no cloud at all will be formed but the steam will condense into dewdrops upon the glass hence from repeated experiments it seems that whenever water-gas condenses into mist or fog each globule forms round some minute particle of matter and when our breath becomes visible it is a proof that the air we are breathing is not only cold but more or less dusty microscopic meteorites are often found in the centre of hailstones as if the ice had crystallised upon them but the invisible dust produced by a gas-jet a clear fire the heating of the hundredth part of a grain of iron or a fragment of glass is quite enough to cause steam to condense into a cloud while common salt burnt in a spirit lamp produces intense fog as soon as the steam is admitted and burnt sulphur gives a fog so dense that it is impossible to see through a thickness of even two inches as it is calculated that more than two hundred tons of sulphur are burnt daily in london with the coal during winter this alone without the suspended soot would be enough to account for much of our fog happily the human furnaces are so constructed as to consume their own smoke otherwise since eight hundred
tons of carbon as well as nearly two million pints of water are said to be discharged daily from the lungs of londoners alone the consequences would be dismal indeed still even when we have got rid of our smoke we shall not be free from fog though we shall see no more of the pea soup variety fogs as we know prevail out at sea and even high up among the mountains where there is certainly no smoke though there is dust and as long as the air is dusty fogs there will be well we should most of us be willing enough to dispense with them some of us indeed would be more than willing especially the sailor who has fog-horns sounding all round him as he goes up and down channel and often dares not close his eyes for many days and nights together and lives in a state of constant anxiety as long as the fog lasts but if the air were quite free from dust we should also lose the clouds which make so large a part of the beauty of our skies the artist would lose his mists and atmospheric effects and we should probably have no rain for when the moisture became more than the air could hold it would be deposited as dew upon every object with which it might come in contact neither is this all that the absence of dust would entail upon us we might suppose that with no dust in the air we should at least have more light but while it is undoubtedly true that the sunbeams show us the motes it is no less true also that the motes and finer dust actually show us the sunbeams and that one is invisible without the other a beam of sunlight or electric light if admitted into a chamber of which the air is perfectly pure at once disappears and is replaced by pitchy blackness except where it strikes the wall or some other object balloonists tell us that the higher they ascend the deeper becomes the colour of the sky until at the height of a few miles it looks almost like a black canopy because though the sun is shining in unclouded splendour there is little or no dust to scatter his light the space between the stars stellar space as it is called is accordingly absolute blackness notwithstanding the blaze of light which passes through it and becomes visible on striking our dusty atmosphere this universal dust is kept out of our lungs where it would be injurious by the innumerable fine hairs or cilia which cover the air passages and which as they constantly wave upwards filter the air very effectually but when the strain is too great and prolonged the hairs cease to act the membrane of the air passages becomes inflamed and bronchitis or asthma follows the dust of coal mines and that caused by grinding especially steel grinding and the polishing of pearl buttons marble etc particularly where emery is used also the dust in potteries and china works the organic dust and fluff of shoddy and flax mills as well as that arising from the sorting of type are all injurious and some of them fatal in their effects upon the air passages and lungs which the hairs are quite unable to protect a seedsman once complained to professor tyndall that his men were made quite ill during the busy season by the irritation produced by the dust from the seeds 
and gladly accepted his suggestion that they should be provided with respirators made of cotton wool tied up in muslin which filtered the air so perfectly that no further complaints were heard the black lungs of colliers are well known and stony dust is found deposited in the lungs of stonemasons but under ordinary circumstances the natural filtering apparatus is quite effectual the particles being arrested by the hairs above mentioned and then sent back into the air by the expired breath the air which we breathe out at the end of an expiration is so absolutely free from dust that if breathed across the track of an electric beam the latter will be pierced by an intensely black hole for the reasons already given so much then for the dust of the air but we have yet to say something about the dust of water and here again though the amount of impurity may be so infinitesimal as to be hardly capable of expression in numbers and though the individual particles suspended may utterly elude the microscope yet their presence here as in the air is revealed to us by light good drinking water appears simply dirty in the electric beam and even that which has been filtered through charcoal is seen to be thick with fine suspended matter but by far the greater number of particles are not only invisible to the naked eye but are beyond the reach of the microscope and reveal their presence only by colour in the purest water obtained with extra precautions against contamination by the air from the middle of a block of ice the electric beam when passed through it appeared of a delicate blue purer than that of the sky and therefore produced by particles finer than those suspended in the air all the evidence however points to the conclusion that in perfectly pure water the last trace of colour would disappear and the beam would be as invisible as it is in perfectly pure air the river rhine flows into lake constance muddy with the sediment it has brought from the mountains but on emerging partially filtered at the other end it is of a dark but transparent green the water of the lake of brienz is also a deep transparent green but that of the lake of thun which it feeds being more perfectly filtered is a clear blue sea-water of a yellow-green professor tyndall found to be thick with suspended matter in fact muddy green water was thick with finer particles but as the water became of a clearer brighter green these diminished in size and quantity water of a cobalt blue was much more pure of an indigo tinge purer still and when almost black with but a trace of indigo as is the case in the mid-atlantic it was nearly absolutely pure the purest natural water like the purest natural air is never free from some minute quantity of dust if it were it would be as black as ink and though reflecting a glimmer from its surface as ink does would lose all the wonderful play of light and colour which makes so much of its charm an inky sky an inky sea general inkiness in fact except in the direct track of the sun's rays 
these it seems are some of the results which would follow if we could succeed in banishing all dust from the air and from the water End of chapter 1